I really have a sense tonight that the Holy Spirit is doing something so personal in every heart. And um, if you are a part of 24-7 Church, you'll know that we are right in the, the beginning of a series that we've called God Encounters. And the reason why we've called it God Encounters is because we really believe as a church and as a house that God is in pursuit of daily relationship and encounters with you. Amen? So if you have believed the gospel, that's a copy and paste message or a a once-off encounter that you hope will sustain you. Maybe you encountered Jesus once. Maybe you were at church or at youth group or you experienced something where he touched you and you felt his presence. But it's been a long time since you've experienced him. It's been a long time since you've actually felt him, or it's been a long time since you've really received what he has for you, then I want to say to you tonight, there's an invitation from the Lord into the fullness of what he actually paid for. Amen? Can you guys hear me? Is it quite feeding a bit, eh? Is it okay? Everyone can hear me? You're good? At the back, you can hear me? Awesome. And so I feel tonight like, um, you know, sometimes we feel this pressure to push into something and we're trying to stir ourselves into a place of getting God to do something. And by doing that, we can miss the very thing he's doing right now. And so as we were singing and as we were worshiping, I can just feel Holy Spirit is hovering in this room over every single one of us because he knows your heart so personally. He knows exactly what you're thinking, what you're going through, what you're feeling. He knows what you've been through this week. He knows the season you're in. He knows uh, the struggles. He knows the pain. He knows uh, the needs. He knows all of it. And tonight, he's after your heart. Are you with me? And so we've got to make sure that we are not just singing songs about an idea that we think is good. We're actually singing to a living God who's personal and who knows you. So when we sing worthy, we're not just singing about the concept of Jesus. When we sing worthy, we're singing about the man who counted your life worth his. We're singing about the man who decided that he was so passionately in love with you that he would do whatever it took to get oneness, intimacy, and connection. Are you with me? All right. So we have this thing in 24-7. When I don't get amens, I preach longer, okay? So if you amen me, I get more excited and, and, and I can go for it and maybe it'll be a bit shorter. Is that cool? Uh, that, I can't promise that, actually. <laughs> anyway, last week, we, we spoke about Moses, and we began to speak about how here's this man uh, who actually really didn't have it all together. He had a rough past. He had trauma in his life. He had been abandoned. He had been adopted and raised in a foreign household. He had murdered somebody. He was on the run, and for 40 years, he was in the middle of the wilderness just leading some sheep, his father-in-law's sheep. And yet, in the midst of that, Some scholars say somewhere around 80, 80 years old, God calls him. And he has this encounter with God in a burning bush. Now, the burning bush wasn't the miracle. The miracle was that the bush was not being consumed, that the fire remained. And I believe it was a prophetic declaration to Moses saying, the fire of God is going to come on your life. It will not not consume you in a negative way. It will fill you and empower you for what I've called you to do. And Moses was not impressive. And I believe that this generation and I believe that the church in this hour needs to understand something. God is not looking for an impressive church. He is not looking for an impressive church. He's not looking for your best attempt. He's not looking for you to have it all together. He's not hoping that you've ticked the boxes and got it right. He's not waiting for you to become righteous so that he can use you. He actually paid the whole price, made you righteous, and is saying, won't you just believe what I'm saying to you and actually walk out in the obedience that I'm giving you? And so Moses has this encounter. God says, guess what, Moses? I want to send you back to Egypt. Now, here's the thing about God is that 
he's so personal because Egypt was personal to Moses. Egypt was the place where there was trauma. Egypt was the place where he murdered somebody. See, all throughout Scripture, you're going to see men and women of God who were really messed up. They really didn't have it together. They were really broken, and yet God chooses to encounter them, to use them, to anoint them, to set them apart. And here's the beautiful thing. He didn't ask them to fix their mistakes first. But yet we have a generation right now that are running away from the church because they feel a pressure, a legalistic, ungodly pressure to get life sorted out before God can actually do anything. I can't experience the presence of God. I can't know God. I can't feel God until I actually stop my mistakes, stop, my, stop sinning, stop all this stuff, sort my life out. Then maybe God will actually reveal himself to me. And so we're being taught and we're, people are preaching a legalistic gospel that's putting an ungodly burden and pressure on the church and it's why we're not seeing the church that's meant to arise and shine. The only way you're going to arise and shine is by receiving the fullness of what he's given you, the fullness of what he's paid for. So God's not looking for your best attempt to be like him. He never has and he never will. You know, even under the law in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, you're not seeing a God who's telling everybody, get your act together, figure out, then I'll use you. In fact, Israel was the one who said to Moses, you go up, we're too afraid to go into the presence of God, even though God invited all of Israel. They said, no, no, Moses, you go up, you seem to survive the last encounter. So you go up, you find out what he wants, and then you tell us and we'll do that. Israel asked for the law. God never wanted to give the law. God never had the law as a standard that was going to uh, prove the people of God to himself that oh, they're actually good enough. That was not God's heart, but he gave the law to reveal to them their need for Jesus, right? And yet here's Moses, a guy who married a woman he was not supposed to marry. Made he was a murderer, made multiple mistakes, and yet God talks to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. I don't know if you're starting to see the heart of God that maybe actually even when the law was given, God didn't seem to be waiting for the perfect man or woman to use them. Even under the law, God was still operating in grace and mercy, covering us and using us for his purposes and his dream. Amen. So this generation, the church in this hour needs something really important. It's called encounters. It's called daily encounters with Jesus. Why? Because without encounters, how do we walk with him? See, oneness with God looks a lot more than just name it, claim it, and hope it works. Oneness with God is an eternal reality that you've been invited into. In other words, what we're talking about, what we preach about, it's not just inspiring messages. It's actually yours, and it's actually real, and there's actually a place in God where we have relationship with Him, where every day God is speaking to me, I'm hearing Him, and I'm walking in relationship with Him. Do you hear this? If we lose the good news of the gospel and we settle for a mediocre Christianity that simply, thank God he saved me, let's just hope he comes soon and take us out of this God-forsaken place. That's, that's, a, that's a mediocre Christianity that leaves us with no power, no impact, and no intimacy. But the reality is what Jesus paid for is not just uh, that, that he would uh, get us out of this, this place and, and here's your ticket to heaven and hopefully uh, you can kind of last the next couple of years as the world falls apart. It's not the gospel. Let me tell you how personal Jesus is tonight. Jesus didn't just take your sin upon himself. He became you. I need you to hear this. If I can be so bold as to say it like this. Jesus didn't just become pornography. He became the porn addict. 
Jesus didn't just take on murder. He became the murderer. And the reason why he had to do that, this is, I'm saying this, I know there's a lot of young people in the room, and so I want to speak to your hearts and say this. He had to make it so personal. He had to become you so that you could be like him. There had to be this exchange. It's not just sin for righteousness. It's your personal sin for his personal righteousness. Your righteousness, your right standing with God, your ability to hear God and have relationship with him only comes from one thing, that Christ gave it to you. <laughs> See, uh, we're gonna, we'll preach this till Jesus comes because we've been trained, we've been homeschooled in the wrong home. And so we have this belief system that th it's too easy. I must earn it. There must be something that you expect me to do. There must be something that I have to do to get this. And Jesus is saying, I did it all. When he created Adam and Eve in the garden, did he ask them to achieve anything? God's statement and his intent for mankind was to be with him from the beginning. And so now what we see is that Jesus has not just restored us to what happened in the garden, but he's actually put himself inside of us. He made you his garden. Right? So what does this mean for your life? It means this. Christianity is the most outrageously wild adventure you will ever embark on. on. It means this. Relationship with Jesus is so wild and so insane that it should offend your mind every single day that God showed up to speak to me. And guess what? Where did he show up? From inside of me. And actually his voice sounds like me because he made his home in me. And so now I'm not questioning whether I hear God. I hear God because I was made to hear God. I'm wired for him. So now what happens is it's a joy for me to follow Jesus. It's a joy for me to run together in the body of Christ. It's a joy for me to stay free from offense, to stay free from bitterness, to stay free from all these things. Why? Because Christ is in me. And actually because I have him, I have no right to actually feel any of those things because it's not in his nature. But I don't have to try to get there. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to reveal the nature of Jesus in me. Transformation is the work of the Holy Spirit, not you. So we got to be careful because what we're doing is we're trying to hype up a, a generation. We're trying to hype up the church right now to, to respond in this hour instead of inviting the church and calling her as a bride to encounter the bridegroom king. Because here's the thing, hype will only carry you so far. We can get stirred and passionate and we can try and be impressive and we can try and create a services that you know, are punchy and yeah, and amazing and you come out feeling, oh, come on, high fives. But the reality is on Wednesday morning, we're not gonna be there high-fiving you. But you're still called to shine. And so the, the place of radiance in Christ can only come from intimacy and relationship with him. Are you with me? Anyway, that was a long introduction. So we're talking about encounters with God, and I want to just say to you, you are born for encounters, you're made for encounters, and so tonight, I'm asking you, I'm inviting you, including my own heart, can we turn up our expectation? Can we actually set our expectations on the God of encounter and say, Lord, you desire me? Because there's no possible way that I can say yes to the Great Commission, making disciples of all nations, if I don't first know how much he desires me. See, when I know how much he wants me, I start to feel how much he wants others. My yes to the nations, my yes to unreached people groups, my yes to my city, my yes to the, the broken and the lonely and the forgotten, my yes to people can only come first from receiving God's yes to me. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to John chapter 4. 
during this series called God Encounters, we're going we're gonna to look at different men and women in the Bible, and we're going to begin to look at their lives. And, and I think I said this last week, I've said it again tonight, you're going to see this common theme. And here's the common theme. It should set you free tonight. It should make you really happy. And I hope it does. This is what we see. Not one single person that we're going to study and look at got it right. Not one. They were all broken people with broken stories in desperate need of a Savior. Every single one. There's not a single person aside from Jesus that we can look at in Scripture and go, wow, that person really was just born, you know, in the anointing, just completely set apart, never did anything wrong and just walked in perfection. The only person who did that was Jesus. Yet the Bible is full of God telling his story through sons and daughters who once were broken, who once were struggling, who once were were falling apart and messed up, but God picked them up and began to write his story. And he's telling the same story through your life today. I'm hoping tonight to start to awaken your heart to this reality. The story of the ages, it's a story of redemption. It's God's story of redemption. It's God's story of how he rescues us. It's God's story of love. That same story that we read over and over again through all these people's lives, God's telling that story through you today. We just don't see it. And the reason we don't see it is because we're still living for our own dreams. We're still trying to write our own story and we're hoping God approves it. And we get stuck in the same cycle because I'm doing what I want to do, hoping that God approves what I want to do and that his blessing will be on it. And we're missing the purpose of life. You were not made or designed or wired for your dream. You were made for his. And can I say this tonight? Maybe that's a little bit offensive because maybe you're really in love with your own dream. Maybe you're slightly in love with yourself. We all are until we come face to face with Jesus. And suddenly you realize you will never be satisfied. You will never be content until you lay it all down and live for him. Your dream will never satisfy you. And the reality is you might get there and suddenly you realize it's not enough and there must be something else and there must be something else. And you begin to get stuck in the rat race of life, but you're not a rat. You're a son and a daughter. And so get out of the rat race, start saying yes to Jesus and watch how the dream of God, the story of God that he's writing through you makes you come alive in a way that you never knew was possible. Amen? Amen. So John 4, we, we see this encounter and I want, to, I want to highlight some things about Jesus because I want to say this. It's almost like tonight God has positioned you and he's waiting for you at a well. And I said this last week, I'll say it again tonight. God always makes first contact. <laughs> he initiates, he starts, and he finishes. All you got to do is receive. Over and over again, you're going to see this about the nature of God. He is not a God who is distancing himself from you going, let's see if you can find me. You know, we've been taught some weird things. I've, I've heard some teachings about this where it's like, you know what God does is God hides himself from you to, to kind of stir your heart to try to come find him and pursue him. I'm sorry, that's not the God that I know. It's not the God that saved me. He's never hid himself from me. In fact, I'm the one who's running around doing life and he keeps jumping in front of me going, hey, hey. No, seriously, he's, he's the one who is constantly sabotaging your life over and over and over again. And, and, and if you go like, well, I don't think he's been doing that. Let me ask you, how many times have you been offended by Christians or by the word or by a sermon? How many times have you experienced offense? Because you know what offense is? Offense is undealt with conviction. 
So every time you come into these collisions of offense, I'm telling you, God is sabotaging you, looking to free your heart so you can experience Him. See, there is nothing between the Father and you tonight. Nothing can separate you from His love. So He's ready to encounter you. The only thing that separates us from Him is our own unbelief that He's actually not as good as He says He is. The only reason I wouldn't encounter God tonight is if I don't actually believe He really wants to meet with me. See, God is not a dripping tap. He's not a dripping tap and we're waiting for the next drop. Uh, let's hope that I'm here for when it comes. Let's hope, okay, we're, ah. He is a raging, rushing flood of his presence, fullness, and glory. And he's asking you to get in on this. Amen. So tonight, the invitation is to come to the well. So John chapter 4, when the Lord learned that the Pharisees had been told that Jesus was making uh, and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. He left Judea and returned again to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he arrived at a Samaritan town called Sakar, near the, the tract of land that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which was about noon. So I want you to picture this. Jesus is, is starting to really turn it up. Miracles are happening. People are being, uh, disciples are being made. They're being baptized. They're following Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is being introduced to the earth. And there is momentum. And Jesus is, he hears that, uh, okay, the Pharisees are kind of upset because it's getting wild. And so now he, he comes, he ends up at Sakar. And I love this. He was tired. Jesus is tired. He's been traveling. And, and he gets to Sakaar, and suddenly, in his tiredness, he makes a decision to do something that I believe is really intentional. He chooses to go sit at a well. And then he, he also chooses to sit at a well at a certain time of day. Notice that the scripture is quite specific. That's how we've got to read our Bibles. Oh, he chose to sit at noon. So he sends his disciples away to go get food from the town, and it's just Jesus sitting at a random well at noon when he's tired. Then a woman from Samaria came to draw water. That's interesting. One woman, random time of day. Coincidence? Don't think so. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone off into the city to buy food. So the Samaritan woman asked him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me a Samaritan woman for a drink? For Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew about God's gift of eternal life, and who it is that says, give me a drink, you would have asked him instead, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, no bucket or rope, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and he used to drink from it himself, and his sons and his cattle also? Jesus answered her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again, but the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, satisfying his thirst for God, welling up, continually flowing, bubbling within him to eternal life. Interesting. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not get thirsty nor have to continually come all the way here to draw. At this, Jesus said, go call your husband and come back. The woman answered, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you've correctly said that you don't have a husband, for you've had five husband, husbands, and the man you're now living with is not your husband. 
You've said this truthfully. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place where one ought to worship is in Jerusalem at the temple. I want, you, I want you to see something here for a second. Jesus asks her a question. He says, go call your husband. Suddenly the mood of the conversation changes. And she goes, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You don't, you don't have a husband. You've had five and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. You're being truthful. And then, isn't this interesting? This is the response of every single one of us. She begins to turn the direction of the conversation to right and wrong when it comes to worship. She immediately feels guilt, shame, and condemnation, and she goes, well, you Jews say that we have to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. We worship here on this mountain. And then Jesus replies, he says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You don't know what you worship. We do know what we worship, for salvation is from the Jews, but a time is coming, and it's actually already here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such people to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. I don't know if you're seeing this. This is how I read my Bible. I'm like, He's sitting at a well at noon, knowing there's only one woman who comes to this well, and He's not phased that He's tired. This is the nature of God. He's sitting at a well. She comes and he goes, hey, give me a drink. And she goes, first and foremost, why the heck are you talking to me? Don't you know that we don't, Jews and Samaritans, we don't associate with each other? Sounds like a lot of Christians today. Why the heck would God even want to talk to me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know the state of my life? And Jesus says, hey, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me for a drink. And I'd actually give you living water. And it's living water that you, will make you never thirst again. And it actually is going to become a spring within you that will well up to eternal life. <laughs> and so she's like, okay, <laughs> this, is, this is interesting. How, how would you give me that water? Because you don't even have a rope and a bucket. She's still kind of not catching on. And then Jesus says, this is, just follow me. Jesus goes, hey, go call your husband. And she's like, I don't, I don't have a husband. And then he prophesies and he's accurate in his word of knowledge. But I want you to see something. Jesus didn't give this word of knowledge to show her where she had messed up. Jesus didn't give this word of knowledge to say, hey, I actually know about all five plus the sixth guy who's actually not your husband. He wasn't doing that because you can see that he doesn't put the emphasis on that. He begins to shift it. So watch this. He says, hey, I know you. I understand why you're feeling the way that you're feeling. I understand that you're a mess up. I understand that you feel like a failure. I understand that things haven't worked out. I know you. I'm a personal God who came to sit at a well at the exact time that you come, and I know why you come at this time. I know the shame. I know the guilt. I know the condemnation. I know what you're feeling, and I'm telling you I'm here, and I want to give you living water. Are you getting this? And then she, she shifts it and she goes, okay, you're a prophet. That's impressive. You know who I am. Now I feel vulnerable. I feel a little exposed. And she goes, well, you know, you guys say we're supposed to worship this way and we worship this way. And so suddenly you're starting to see she's like, well, how are we supposed to do it right if you won't even let us worship at your temple? You know, it's, she's getting in this thing of trying to prove herself. It's right and wrong. 
This is how majority of us respond to God when God goes, hey, I know you. I know what you're going through. I know your mess up and I'm here to give you living water. And we're like, well, let's just talk about which temple we're supposed to worship in because I actually feel a little excluded and I don't really know how to do this and I'm, I'm insecure and you see it? It's right and wrong. It's like, well, God, I'm trying my best here. And how do you expect us to worship if, you know, hey, we, we worship here and Jacob, our father, had this well. And, and she's in this, this conversation with God. And you can see God is beginning to strip her of all the shame, all the fear, and every reason that she thinks Jesus wouldn't want to be with her. And then he says this statement that I believe lit her heart on fire. He says, hey, I want to tell you that the time is coming, but it's actually already here. Look at me. It's here. This is Jesus. The time is coming, and it's already here, where the true worshipers are not going to worship on this mountain or that mountain. They're going to worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, he's saying this, I'm after hearts. I'm not impressed by your temple worship. I'm not impressed by which mountain you're singing on. I'm looking for hearts. I'm looking for little ladies in the dust like you, alone at a well, who will worship me in spirit and in truth. See, here's the thing about spirit and truth. None of those things are dependent on you. Are you with me? Spirit and truth. None of those things are dependent on you. That's him. He's saying there's going to be a generation, there's going to be a people who will worship in spirit and truth because they're in Christ. Meaning the invitation is open. He's calling everybody. And then he, he says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So she says to him, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he's going to tell us everything we need to know. See, I want to say this to you. She didn't fully understand. She's hearing these words. Things are stirring in her heart. She doesn't fully understand. So she goes, Hey, that sounds really profound. Um, I know that there's a Messiah who's going to come, and when he comes, he'll actually tell us what we need to know because I still don't understand what you want from me. And then Jesus just says one simple thing. He says, I who speak to you, I'm him. Now, you don't understand. Yes, you don't understand this. He just said, the time is coming. It's already here. When you worship in spirit and in truth, which is not dependent on you, it has to be dependent on the only one who's perfect, the Messiah. So she goes, well, I know that he's supposed to come, and when he does come, he'll tell us how to do that. And he goes, I'm him. What do you think happened in that moment in her heart? See, Jesus is standing in front of you today, and he's saying, all those things, all the things that are stirring in your heart, God, I want to know you. God, I want to be like you. God, I want to live out the Christian life. God, I, want, I, I desire to be who you've called me to be. I want to worship in spirit and truth. I want to live in the reality of what you've paid for. And he's going, hey, I'm him. This is what that means. She's standing there going, if you're him, that means it's available to me now. If you're him, if you're him, then what you just said is mine. If you're him, then that means when you said you'll give living water, I can have living water. It's the best news because what, what she realized was this, spirit and truth, it's only him. He's giving it to us. We're going to worship in that way. I don't have to travel to the mountain. I'm going to know him here. I'm going to know him from my heart. I'm going to know him from the depths of who I am. Everything is changing. 
And when you get born again, this should be the reality. It's like, man, I lived my whole life in brokenness. I lived searching for truth, searching for the Spirit, searching for change, searching for transformation, searching for freedom. I, I went through addiction. I went through all this stuff. I struggled. I went through relational brokenness. I went through all of it looking for Him. And suddenly He comes and stands before you and says, hey, I'm Him. And that changes everything about your life from that very moment. We have a whole generation, the church in this hour right now, that's got caught up in the methods of Christianity and we missed the man. And what's happening, there was a prophetic word of a 24-7 years ago. They said, God is going to use 24-7 church to reintroduce Jesus to his bride. And it's almost, and that's not, that's, I mean, God's doing that all across the globe. But I want to say this to you. The invitation tonight is Jesus is saying, hey, you're my bride. And some of us just need to be reintroduced to the bridegroom. Some of us just need to remember, oh, he's not a taskmaster. He's not angry and upset and, and disappointed and trying to get you to do better. Jesus is not the Lord of the grind and the independent thing and like, you know, hey, you got to get independent and figure it out and do well and be successful. He's just not the Lord of that. Jesus is the Lord of the dependent bride who's needy of their bridegroom, who leans on their beloved coming out of the wilderness. Why? Because victory looks like I'm leaning on Jesus. He wins every time. I don't care if my feet are dragging. I'm with him. Victory doesn't always look like impressive. Here's the thing, that the church in the end times, they're not going to be impressive. They're going to be meek and lowly. And when people meet you, they go like, I need your bridegroom king. I also need someone to lean on in the wilderness. Because the beauty is this, when I'm leaning on Jesus, people aren't seeing my weakness. They're seeing the strength of the one I'm married to. What God's called the church to in this hour is to reveal Jesus, not us. This means less opinions. This means less talk without demonstration. This means a people who are living out the story of God. And it's so attractive and it's so beautiful to those around us because they can see how God wants the same thing for them. See, what, what the world needs is not your testimony. What the world needs is the testimony of Jesus through your life. Come on. Over and over and over again in the scriptures, this is what we're seeing. I was lost, now I'm found. I was broken, I was forgotten. I made all the mistakes and I couldn't get free. But guess what? He's him. And he found me at a well. Or he found me in a field with a burning bush. Or Abraham, an Iraqi pagan, walking in the mountains, and suddenly God goes, hey, Abraham, I love you. You're blessed. And Abraham goes, thank you, God. <laughs> over and over and over and over and over again, God is reaching out to man. He's saying, I want to tell my story through you. See, uh, I'm a, I'm a brand new dad. I have a daughter who's two and a half weeks old. And here's the thing. I look at this little girl, and, and I, I mean, everybody told me this was going to happen, so forgive me to all the dads. I know, I get it, I'm repeating it. But here's the thing. I look at her and I go, there's not a single thing that she can ever do that will change the way I feel about her. In fact, I realize this. The, the disappointment that you might feel sometimes when your kids make mistakes is not disappointment in them. 
It's disappointment because you know who they are. And it's actually, it's not even disappointment. It's, it's the pain and anguish of wanting to see them be who they're called to be. Does that make sense? And so this is what's so beautiful is like, I look at my daughter and I go, it doesn't matter what she's ever going to do. I love her. And I will spend as long as I'm alive making sure she knows that and making sure she knows she can run to dad. Why, if I can do that and want to do that in just my weak, frail human heart of being a dad, why do I think the father is any less than that? If anything, he's a million times more. So the father is continually running after his children saying, I love you and I want to use you. I want to tell my story through you. And what we need to do is wake up to the reality that he really isn't a disappointed, angry God. He's a loving, good father who's welcoming you over and over again every day to hear his voice. Because when you hear the father's voice, when you hear the voice of your father, nothing else matters. You're safe when you're in his voice. Amen? So we see this encounter happen, and, and now I want to just I wanna tell you about this woman, what an encounter does. Because what happens is she freaks out, and she's like, oh my word, he's the Messiah, and she runs back to the city, and she tells everybody. And Jesus stays for two days, and multitudes from this city get saved and born again. And they actually say this, it's in verse... Um, find it here. Verse 39, now many Samaritans from that city believed in him and trusted him as savior because of what the woman had said when she testified that he told me all the things that I've done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to remain with them and he stayed there two days. Many more believed in him with a deep and abiding trust because of his word. And they told the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, for now we have heard him for ourselves. And we know with confident assurance that this one is truly the savior of the world. I don't know if you're seeing something. Jesus is tired. And he decides to stop at a well at noon. Noon. It's the middle of the day. It's hot. Just because one woman from a little city, a little town, is going to be there at noon. And even in his tiredness, he's so after her heart. He's so after encounter. He's introducing the kingdom of heaven, which starts like this. Father intimate. He sends his disciples to get food. He waits at the well. He has an encounter with her. And this one encounter with one little woman who's broken and in need of a savior turns its city upside down in two days. So you go, why do we need encounters? Because can you see, first and foremost, look at what encounters do for us. It reminds us of who our God is. It reminds us of who we serve. It reminds us of what he's invited us into. But then guess what? When we say yes to him, he picks up our little life, tells his story through your life, and in two days, a whole town can come to hear the gospel. And a whole multitude are coming to believe in Jesus, saying, we don't believe just because of what you said. We've actually heard him for ourselves, and we know he's the savior of the world. The church in this hour needs to be a people of encounter because the people of encounter are carrying the story of God. How do you preach the grace of God if you don't first encounter it yourself? Grace is like oxygen for the believer. And so this woman, her name was Fatine or Fatini. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about this lady because she was wild. I want to show you what an encounter does. She has this encounter with Jesus. 
And uh, she actually ends up, her five sisters get saved and her two sons. And she and her sisters and her sons, historians write that she was actually at Pentecost. Now, that makes sense because she just had a wild encounter with Jesus and I guarantee she wanted to be wherever he was. And so once he had uh, died, raised from the dead and gone to be with the father, she was like, well, he said, wait, the disciples are waiting. I'm going to be where he said we need to be, right? So she's there. Holy Spirit falls, and she becomes this wild apostle slash evangelist. They call her different things, but she was insane. She took her two sons to Carthage in Africa, and she began to preach the gospel in North Africa. And it was causing such a stir that her name was getting around that actually her name was being mentioned with the disciples and the apostles, with the twelve. In fact, they would actually say like she was the, the 13th apostle because she, just, she was so fiery. She was so in love with Jesus. You couldn't stop this woman. And, and history actually, the historians write, and they say that she had a dream when she was in Carthage that she needed to go to Rome. And in the dream, she saw Jesus. Now just picture, here's this woman. She had this wild encounter with Jesus at the well. Then the whole story unfolds. He dies, he's raised, he goes, Holy Spirit falls, the church is birthed. She's carrying the gospel to North Africa and she has another dream and guess who she sees in the dream? The one who said, I'm him. I don't know if you're seeing this. Jesus is not after one moment with you and then hoping that sustains you. He's in love with you. He's in love with you. He wants to keep revealing himself to you. He wants to keep encountering you. What sustains you is not what you experienced at the first time you got saved. What sustains you is how I know him today. Yes. So she has this dream. She knows to go to Rome. And uh, what's funny is that her reputation and her fame for just what was going on, the signs, wonders, and miracles, got to Nero. Now, Nero was the emperor at the time. He's the psycho, crazy guy who's burning Christians alive. He's using them as lampposts lamp in the streets. He is killing people. He's, he's the one who killed uh, Peter. He's the one who killed Paul. He's just, he's crazy, right? And he hears about her, and he actually sends soldiers to arrest her and her sons. But God tells her that this is actually going to happen. So when he, Nero sends the soldiers, and when he sent the soldiers, she rocked up at Nero's door, knocking on the palace door. And she goes, I want to speak to Nero. Now, this is insane. Because saying I want to speak to Nero as a Christian is like saying I'm ready to be executed. Knocking on the front door of Nero's house is a suicide mission. So she says, I want to speak to Nero. So, <laughs> so Nero lets her and her, two, her one son, sorry, one son in. And I think she had sisters as well with her. And this is, he says, why have you come here? What, what do you have to say? And she says, I've come here to preach the gospel so you can get saved. And so Nero obviously freaks out. And so this is what he does. This is incredible. This is history. This is, you can, it's multiple sources. He takes her, her one son, and I think it was some of her sisters. They put their hands on a counter and he, he for three hours straight, he gets a bunch of people to smash their hands with hammers and a whole bunch of stuff. And supernaturally, they do not feel a single thing. And for three hours, this goes on. Every hour, they rotate the soldiers to keep smashing their hands. And they're just supernaturally, nothing's happening to their hands. They're fine. 
So this is frustrating. So Nero gets upset. So what he does is he decides he's going to flip it. He puts on a banquet. He, he puts golden thrones in a room. He sits them on the thrones and he puts jewelry and wealth and, and riches and a whole bunch of stuff. And he gets his daughter, Domina, and she comes and all her maidens. And they come and have this whole conversation and this alluring thing about, hey, even the, the one the source says that Domina came and greeted her in the name of Christ, trying to open relationship and conversation. They try to lure her with jewelry and money and all these things. And guess what happens? Domina gets saved. Nero's daughter gets saved. This makes Nero mad. He's just freaking out. He's like, everything I'm trying, she won't deny Jesus. She's just this force to be reckoned with. Domina gets saved. Now you can imagine he wants to kill his own daughter. There's just a whole bunch of stuff going on. So what they do is they try multiple different ways to torture her. And she spends three years in a Roman prison by choice, she knocked on his door. She spends three years in a Roman prison being tortured and yet seeing the supernatural power of God protect her and cover her. Some of the sources write that they actually cut the legs off of her sons. And her sons, don't laugh, it's not funny. Her sons ran around on stubs preaching the gospel for years after that. One of her sisters was split in half in front of her. Nero asked her this question. He demanded to know whether they had all agreed to die for the Nazarene. Fatini spoke for them. She said, yes, for the love of him we rejoice, and in his name we'll gladly die. <laughs> Maybe the reason why Western Christianity is so weak is because we are not seeing a people of encounter. Maybe when we're a people of encounter, we have something that you cannot take away from me. Death is the beginning for me. You get this? When you've encountered Jesus, I'm not intimidated or afraid of death. On one of the occasions, they put Fatini and her son into a burning furnace, similar to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a burning furnace, and they left them in there for seven days. And when they came after seven days, guess who was sitting perfectly unscathed, not burnt, completely fine, Fatini. They tried to poison her and her family, and this is what she said, O king, I will drink the poison first so that you might see the power of my Christ and my God. All the saints then drank the poison after her, and none suffered any ill effects from it. In vain, Nero subjected Fatini, her sisters, her sons, and friends to every known Roman torture. The saints survived unscathed to, to taunt and ridicule their persecutor. I love this. For three years, they were held in a Roman prison. Saint Fatini transformed it into a house of God. Many Romans came to the prison, were converted, and baptized. Finally, the enraged tyrant Nero had all the saints except for Fatini beheaded. So he's just so mad, he's just, he can't handle this woman that he just beheads everybody except her. But now listen to this. How, this, is, this blows my mind. Instead of beheading her, he, he beheads everyone else, all her family, all her friends, and then he takes Fatini and he does something different. Why? I, this, is, this is God. He throws her down a deep well. 
That's how she died. Ha! The place of encounter where she met him was the same place where she left this life so she could be with him. This is a woman who didn't have anything figured out, and I guarantee you she didn't get it right afterwards. She had one thing, him. See, we need, we need a church that's wrapped up in him. We need the church that Jesus is building. We need the church that's not weak and fledgling uh, because They've seen him, they've taken a hold of him, they're walking in him. In their, in their own strength, they're weak and broken, but in him, they're able to obey him because of his obedience. They're able to do the things of the kingdom because it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. I'm walking in a confidence every day that's not in me. I know my shortcomings, I know my failures, I know, I know my, what I'm actually able to do. And all of that's died with Christ, and now he's put himself in me, and he's saying, if you'll just let me be God, watch what I'm going to do. I think we've got to be careful, especially, I know there's a lot of young people tonight, so I want to say this. We've got to be careful as, a, as the church that we're not trying to make Christianity cool again to, to get the next generation involved and engaged. We've got to be careful. <laughs> Everyone okay? We've got to be careful that we're not trying to draw the next generation with hype, with Im- impressive meetings. What we need is environments where Jesus is honored and loved so that we can encounter him because I promise you I'm looking at a room tonight and I'm saying this, if you will have one encounter with Jesus tonight, one encounter where you see him, one encounter where you receive him, not just tonight but when you're driving home and tomorrow when you wake up and over and over again, you keep pursuing him knowing that he's already in pursuit of you and every time you have these encounters, something's happening on the inside of you. You might not understand it, you might not figure it out, you might not have it all, uh, you know, you might not have this step one, two, three, but what you do have is this. I've seen him. I've seen him, and guess what? He's on the move, and he's doing something on the earth. It's why I'm saying yes to places and people I never dreamt about. I get asked this question all the time. Why the Middle East? Why, why these nations? Why, why? Like, no one wants to go on holiday to the Middle East. Why these places? Why the hard places? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is on the move, and he's in love with people. And there's whole people groups, tribes, and tongues that don't know who he is. And he's not looking for us to be impressive. He's looking for yielded lovers. He's looking for people just like Fatini who have made massive mistakes. They haven't figured it out. And I guarantee you she didn't solve it in the night. It's not like she walked away from the well and suddenly her life was bliss. She had a past and a story that she had to unfold and she had to make decisions and things had to happen. But here's the thing. She had him. And so she could burn for Jesus. And she didn't need permission She didn't need permission from those around her to preach the gospel. She just lived it out. Her life became a fragrance of worship to Jesus that moved him and pleased him. I don't know if you're seeing this. The kindness of Jesus is that it doesn't matter where where God is or what he's doing. He's always the same in this one thing. He's a God of encounter. He's the God who makes first contact. He's the God who initiates. He's the God who reaches out. He's the God who waits at the well. We don't know how long he waited. He's the God who sits in the heat of the day at the well waiting for you. Is everyone okay? 
When you tell your story, what does your story sound like? Some of us want to tell a story like this, you know. I got saved, thank God he saved me because I was such a mess. And he saved me and then I made some changes and I started going to church and things got better and I started that business and the hand of God was on my business and, and, uh, and I've just seen the blessing and the prosperity of God and I've been able to really provide well for my family and take care of things. And, you know, praise God, it's been a successful couple of years in the Lord and my hope is that I'll be able to just leave a, a beautiful inheritance for my children and um, I'm so grateful that they're able to go to a good school and, you know, I love my church, man. I attend my church. I tithe, and they, they actually go into the nations. It's incredible, and oh, man, I'm fired up about that. And um, that sounds like a good Christian story, right? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that's just—it's so—it's one percent. <laughs> it's one percent of of what God wants to do in your life. See. <laughs> If you'll give all that stuff to God, if you'll go like, Lord, I know that you love my family and I know that there's all these different things that I, that I need, you'll take care of that. But if I seek first the kingdom, if I seek first your righteousness, you'll take care of that stuff. But you're actually wanting to tell your story through me that's going to change the world. See, if we stop believing that God turns cities upside down, what are we doing? Like, I didn't come here tonight to just make you feel better about yourself and you didn't come here tonight to make me feel better because there's more people in the room. No, we actually came together because in your heart, there is a burning, longing, deep ache and desire in you to be who God's called you to be. And I'm telling you tonight, everything you need has been given to you through the Holy Spirit. Only believe. And when you believe, this is what you're saying. Everything that you are, Jesus, you've put inside of me. And when I believe you, I access that. So my confidence is that you're beginning to do things in and through me. I'm expecting to see fruit that I know I didn't produce. I'm expecting to see things come out of my life that's only you that's going to shock me. Why? It's the testimony of Jesus. I get to tell his testimony. So what do you think about when you think about your story? What do you think about when you tell your story? Uh, do you look at it and just see the pain and brokenness and go, thank God that I have a savior? Well, that's great. And God loves you and he meets you and then he comforts you. But there's more than that. You're not a victim. You're not. If we can tell the story of Jesus, our King, our Redeemer, the one who makes broken things beautiful, and I said this last week, I'll say it again. What if the way Jesus makes broken things beautiful is by taking our eyes off of broken things? Because what you behold, you become. I love thinking about this, that Fatini woke up every day knowing that the one who changed her life, who is the King of Kings, the one who died, who was raised to life, who ascended to the Father, who gave us the Holy Spirit, that that, that man is also her best friend. He's also the lover of her soul. There was something about an encounter with Jesus that was more than enough for her. She didn't need anything else. She had him. If anything, the story of Fatini is a picture for us. It's a prophetic declaration to us of what a people of encounter look like.
I want to say to you tonight, Jesus is a lover. He's our king. He's our savior, but he's our bridegroom. He's a lover, and he's in pursuit of his bride. The only reason we would stay away from him, the only reason why we wouldn't want to accept him, is if we're, we're sticking to an intellectual idea of who we think he is instead of encountering heart to heart, spirit to spirit, the desire of our hearts and souls. He's so in love with you. He's so passionately in love with you. When I read this story, and this, is, this is what I see. I'm looking at these stories and I'm, I'm, I'm studying these encounters and I'm just recognizing, I'm going, Jesus, I think for a long time we've read these stories wrong and we've missed the nature of God. We read these stories and we go, you see, Jesus knew about all five and the one that she was living with and he called it out and she was like, whoa, I see you're a prophet. And, and so Jesus had to deal with her sin in order for it. This is how we see stuff and I'm going, I don't see that and that's not the God that I serve. I see Jesus who's going, I want you to know that I know you. I want you to know that I know tonight your need for me, your need of me. I Jesus is saying tonight, I know. I know the brokenness. I know the pain. I know the struggle. I know all of it. I know. And here's what I want to tell you. I want to give you living water. It's going to become a spring within you. It's going to well up to eternal life. I want to give you rivers of living water by the Spirit. You're called to worship in spirit and truth. It's a game changer. It means that what happens in this room tonight begins to shift things in your life. It begins to shift things in our region, in our city, and unto the nations. And the moment you believe it, suddenly faith is activated in your heart, and now you become a force to be reckoned with, carrying the kingdom of heaven because you were born for it. And I've told you this before. I'll keep preaching this till the day that I die. You are called to walk in the dunamis fire and power of the Holy Spirit. Don't settle for less. You keep seeking Jesus. You keep receiving who He is. Why? You're born for it. You're made for it. Don't settle. I'll never forget years ago, I think it was Courtney who said this to me once, and then she said it to the church, but she just said this, it's as simple as turning your head. It's like we go, God, I just don't know where you are, and I don't feel you, and I'm not sure where you are, and it's like, just turn your head, he's been here all along. It's a matter of what you're looking at. It's a matter of what you're looking at. So hey, Gen Z, I want to say something to you tonight because there's a lot of you in the room, so let's go for it. Here's what I want to say to you. The days of Friday night youth group, icebreakers, high fives, and feel good moments are over. And here's what I want, no, but it gets better, I promise. If you enjoy youth, it's better. See, God's not, God's not trying to birth or build Sunday morning Christians or Friday night youth groups. God is awakening and stirring something. It's called the dream of God inside of every single one of us. And I'm saying to you, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, the generations to come, there is going to be an explosion of creativity that's coming from the church. We're not ready for it, but we don't need to be ready. We need to see it happen. So here's what I'm saying. You need to understand tonight, if you will have one encounter with Jesus, I guarantee you what's gonna come from you hasn't been seen before and it's okay. 
because TikTok wasn't seen before and all that dance stuff wasn't cool when I was a teenager, but it's cool now. So the reality is there's going to be change. There's going to be expressions. It's dynamic, it's vibrant, it's fiery, and you're born for it. And I'm saying to you, don't take a copy-paste message. Don't just look for feel-good services. It's not going to sustain you. And by the time you get to university and by the time you get to jobs and families and whatever, what's going to sustain you is have you seen the burning eyes of Jesus that sets your heart on fire because that's what's going to cause you to burn all the way until Jesus comes. So here's the invitation. I want to say this to us tonight. I'm saying it to Gen Z, but it's for all of us. I mean, 90, right? 90 years old, burning for Jesus. Every Sunday, she comes to me and she goes, I feel the presence of God on me. I'm like, man, I love this. From the youngest to the oldest, we are called as a family to be those who've encountered the living God who are carrying living waters, carrying the fire of the gospel. Monday morning, you're going to wake up and you're going to go into a sphere of influence. And you're going into that sphere of influence as the church, as his bride. You're going to go into school, into university, into the workplace, wherever it is that God's called you, even in your own family. And I'm saying to you, look at this little lady at a well. Look what encounter does to people. Maybe we need to get a little more hungry. Maybe we need to come to gatherings like this, not just excited about either a good vibe or a good preach or some good worship. Maybe we need to come in and go, I'm ready for another encounter today with the living God. Why? Because I'm going from glory to glory, from deep to deep. It's only getting brighter. It's only getting deeper. God's stirring something in my heart. The transformation that's happening in our hearts and lives is because of one simple thing. He did it. He's worthy. He's going to do it today. He'll do it tomorrow. And he never quits. He never stops. He's committed to you. He's committed to your heart. He's committed to the process. God starts it, God carries you and sustains it, and He finishes it. Just say yes. It's just a yes. It's a yielded yes. There's some of you that are 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, right there. And you're just, you just can't, I don't know why we do this, why we put this pressure on teenagers that you just have to figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life. It's like, oh, by the way, by grade 11, you need to have the rest of your life figured out and make sure you get the marks for it. Lord have mercy, what are we doing to each other? Here's the thing. You're looking for purpose, and, and your parents want you to be successful, and so what they do is they put expectation on you and pressure on you, and it's all with good intentions and good motives, but we're missing something. I'm telling you, if you're 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, right about there, you just say yes to the Great Commission, you're going to find yourself burning for something that will sustain you through many different seasons, many different things that you're called to do. Because I want to just say to you, you know, you might say yes to something when you're 18. It looks very different when you're 30. So maybe it's not about the task or the, the assignment, the current assignment or the season. Maybe it's about the one thing that you've given your life to. And we actually need fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters in the church that are going to get with the dream of God come into alignment with his plans and purposes and speak and prophesy and declare that over the next generation. You are not born to tell other people's stories about God. <laughs> Those are great and they encourage us. You're born to live your own. You, right now, you, you're born to know him, to encounter him, but you're also born to do the things that Jesus did and even greater things. 
Lay your hands on the sick and they'll recover. Raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. Freely receive, freely give. That's you. When did we stop believing that? Amen? That's you. You're, you're called for that. You're born for that. You're anointed for that. It's the anointing of Jesus upon your life. So you should all sign up for Global Mission School. <laughs> plug, plug. All right, can we stand tonight? I want to say, if, if you have to go, um, please, I am not offended. If you have to get up and go, that's all good. I love you. Um, we came here for Jesus. We didn't come here for you or, or for me. And so if you need to go, that's okay. But we're going to honor him, and we're just going to let him do whatever he wants to do tonight. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. So let's, let's just go after a few things. Um, if you're here tonight and you need healing, you have pain in your body, you have sickness, anything like that, why don't you lift your hand? If you need, you know you need prayer, you, you need Holy Spirit to touch your body. Cool. Just raise them high so I can just see. Okay, can I ask if you are near somebody with their hands raised, we're just going to come around them for a few moments and we're going to go after healing. Is that okay? So look around. If there's someone with their hands raised, we're going to go and pray. Now, I want to coach you through something. I'm not asking you to ask Jesus for healing. He's given it, and we're just releasing it by faith. You can't do it. It's Him. So just declare it. Release it. 30-second prayers of faith. Let's go for it. Declare and release healing. Get them to test it out and keep going. Let's go. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We release healing in the room right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Yeah, fire of the Holy Spirit. Fire of the Holy Spirit. Fire of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We just declare it and we release healing right now into every body, whether it's sickness, disease, pain, whatever it is, God, we release healing, creative miracles right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Creative miracles. Thank you for the presence and power of Jesus in this room right now, in Jesus' name. You can get them to test it if they can and then pray for them again if they need. Otherwise, just get them to move it a little bit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. If they can't test it, then you just stand in faith and say, we believe it's done. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. We release healing right now.
Okay, while that's happening, if you're praying for people, you can just keep doing that. And, and when you're done, it's all good. We just release healing. But I'll, I just feel this as well. If you are here tonight and you have been struggling under torment, fear, anxiety, depression, but, but I mean, it's intense. Like I, I'm using the word torment because it literally is that. It's attacking your sleep. Uh, it might be in nightmares and night terrors, but I, I believe it's actually, it's brought really negative thoughts and thinking that's not you. You know it's not you. It's, it's torment. Is there anybody here that's feeling that kind of intense oppression over their mind? If that's you, yeah? Okay, cool. Just raise your hands. There might be more. I just want to see this. Is, it, is there more in the back? Okay. If that's you, keep your hands raised. We're just going to pray right now. I'm going to release the presence and the fire of Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that you've highlighted this because you give us your mind and you release the government of peace. So I speak to every demonic lie that has come to attack and torment their hearts and their minds, and I silence you in Jesus' name. And I release the outrageous, abundant, scandalous grace of God over their lives that would begin to uh, renew their minds, change their thoughts, change their thinking, replace lies with truth, that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God, that you are loved and nothing can change that. And so tonight, I release the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit over their minds. I thank you for perfect sleep. I thank you for rest. I thank you for peace in Jesus' name. And tonight, as a church and as a family, we stand in the authority of Christ. We draw the line in the Spirit and we we say no more in Jesus' name. We release freedom over every heart and every mind and every emotion in the name of Jesus. And I speak to every suicidal thought and I silence it right now in Jesus' name. I thank you that no lie from the enemy can rob, steal, or destroy the life and power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Our lives are not our own, they're Christ's, they're given to Him. So we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. And just those night terrors, I just thank you, God, right now for peace. That even from tonight, perfect sleep, rest right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Yeah. And then this one I'm just releasing over the whole room. If you are really struggling with uh, an addiction or just, I just see it, it can be multiple different things, but you know it's really a struggle. It's got a hold on your life. Um, I want to just release the grace of Jesus over this room. It's the grace of God that sets us free. And Jesus is just saying, just let go. Don't look at that. Stop trying and start receiving. And so, Lord, I release the grace of God over this room. And I thank you for freedom and liberty over every single one of us, from the youngest to the oldest. Thank you for the grace of God that washes us. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that's upon us right now. We love you. 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 I just want to do two more things and then we're done. Can we, can we respond together tonight to the invitation from God to be a people of encounter that will allow Jesus to tell his story through his church? Are you with me? If, I'm going to invite you. I'm going to lift my hands. If, if you're feeling that tonight, you're like, yes, God, I actually... I want your story, your dream through my life. I'm not living for my own story. I'm living for yours. If that's you, let's, let's lift our hands together. You don't have to. It's not a forced thing. But if, you, if you're saying yes with me, let's do that. Jesus, tonight as your church, we just receive the fullness of what you've paid for and we say thank you. God, I know tonight that a sermon is not going to change 
people's hearts, but it's an invitation to receive you. And I'm asking Jesus that you would so touch us tonight, so fill us tonight with the gospel, with your story of redemption, the dream of God, that we would become the storytellers of God on the earth, where the, the, the gospel is being preached through the redemption that's flowing through our lives, the things that you've done in us and through us. Lord, where we've taken our eyes off of you and we've been trying to build our own story and our own life, we just repent tonight. We repent and we say, God, we're fully given to you because you made a way where there seemed to be no way. We yield to you and we say, God, your dream is our life. I pray tonight that the dream of God would become the heartbeat of the bride again. Write your story in us. Tell your story through us. We turn away from everything else. We look away from the natural realm. We look away from situation and circumstance and we fix our eyes on you tonight and we say there's only one who's worthy of our lives, our love and our affection, all our attention. And we say, Jesus, come and take possession of your church. We want to be a people for your own possession. So God, I ask tonight, the grace of God would mark this house, would mark every person in this room to say yes to the dream of God. There's more, there's so much more and I know, Holy Spirit, you're going to do it in and through us. So thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And then lastly, just while everyone's got their eyes closed, just keep your eyes on Jesus. I just feel to do this tonight. I know in my own life, you can grow up in a Christian environment, even in Christian circles, and you can hear a message and you can see the stuff and yet never have encountered the man Jesus for yourself. And I want to just say this very clearly tonight. We are not preaching a message that's about accepting Jesus into your heart. You don't add him. You don't tag him on. You don't incorporate him into your life. To give your life to Jesus means that, to give your life. This message of the grace of God is what saved my life because if, if I didn't die with Christ, I couldn't live with Him. And if I can't live with Christ, I have no hope. And so the greatest news that I ever heard was that everything that made Connor Blair Lauder who he was outside of Jesus is dead. And that the Spirit of Jesus is awakening my purpose, destiny, and my original design in Christ. He's awakening it in me. Your personality begins to change. Your desires begin to change. Your perspective for life changes. Your dream changes. It becomes His. And suddenly there's a, a fulfillment that comes in your heart from knowing Him. Right now in this room, there's some of you that God is he's really moving on your hearts. And He's saying, you need to understand something tonight. You were born for me. There's an empty space in your life that nothing else will ever fill except for my presence. There's some of us who have grown up or we've been in environments of church and we've seen things that have actually put us off. And I want to say this, don't look at, at, at wrong representations of Jesus and think that's Him. Come to the source. The invitation tonight is there's a Savior King, a Bridegroom King who's passionately in love with you and He's waiting for you at the well. And He's saying it just takes one touch, it just takes one encounter. You'll never be the same again. And the thing is, God has initiated contact with you. <laughs> God has reached out. 
And he will do that every single day and he will never stop pursuing you. And tonight the invitation is for our hearts to respond to Jesus. He's not asking you to get it right. He's not asking you to fix your life right now. He's not asking you to stop your sin, to figure it out, to get free so that you can come to Jesus. He's not doing any of that. He's just saying, come. See, the gospel is come as you are, but I promise you, you can never remain as you are because what happens is the beautiful exchange of what Jesus did on the cross. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to anoint my words right now because I know that words don't change people's hearts, but the anointing of the Holy Spirit will. And I want to speak to your heart. If you're a lost son or daughter tonight who does not know Jesus, I want to speak to your heart and say this. He is so in love with you right now. You're beginning to feel the presence of God, the anointing of God on your heart and on your body, and you feel Him drawing you. You feel Him wooing you. He's saying, you're my beloved. You're my beloved. I'm in pursuit of your heart, and I will always be in pursuit of your heart. I paid the highest price for you. Everything that could possibly separate you from me, I took it upon myself, and I became it, and I crucified it. Never again will there be a reason to stay far from Him. And He's saying to you tonight, He's saying, my child, how I love you, my child. If you fall, I'll be there to catch you. I cover you under the shadow of my wings. The more you see me, the more you know who you are. Will you let me be God? Will you let me be your king? Will you let me be your savior? Will you let me live in and through you? Will you let me change everything about you so you can be who I called you to be? Freedom is not a feeling, he's a person. This is not about a feeling right now. I'm speaking to your heart. So I want to ask you, if you're here tonight, maybe you've heard a message, maybe you've even been part of a method, but tonight there's an invitation to say yes to the man, Jesus Christ, to let the dream of God come alive in your heart and to be all that He's called you to be. I want to invite you to respond, and I want to make this very clear. If nobody comes up, I'm okay because this is not about me. It's not about an impressive service. This is about an eternal reality with Jesus. But if you're here, I want to make sure that you have every opportunity to say, God, tonight I'm not going to walk out of this room without saying yes to you. I'm not going to walk out of this room without giving my whole life to you. And I want to say, if, if that's you tonight and if you respond, get ready for the greatest, wildest, most intense and passionate adventure you will ever experience. You will find yourself experiencing Him, doing things, walking in things you never even dreamt of because the dream of God is so much bigger than anything we could comprehend. Some of us tonight... We just need to understand that if Jesus forgives you, you don't have a right to not forgive yourself. So you can let it go and you can forgive yourself. Sometimes what's holding us back from responding to Jesus is that we actually don't know how to forgive ourselves. Others forgive us, we can forgive others, but when it comes to forgiving ourselves, we just struggle. And tonight the mercy of Jesus is here to tenderize your heart and he's saying, I forgive you. I don't hold anything against you. You can forgive yourself and come to me. And let me do what I do best. I'm the God of transformation. I'm the God of mercy. I'm the God of grace. I'm the God who makes all things new. It's who I am. 
So if you're here tonight and you just feel the Lord drawing you and wooing you, I want to invite you to the front to respond. Come and, and just give Him everything. Come yield to Him. Some of you are going to begin to feel like this intense burning passion in your heart that you've never experienced before. And maybe, maybe it's been a while, but you've just felt really dry and you felt really far from the Lord. And tonight it's like the refreshing rivers of God are in this place. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're in pursuit of every heart right now. Lord, you don't drive your sheep, you lead them. And your leadership is perfect tonight. So I just say thank you that you would lead every heart to you. In Jesus' name. Lord, I want to release courage and hope over the church tonight. I thank you that devotion to you is not a strain, it's a joy. We're not saying yes to the strain of devotion, but passion and zeal and intimacy comes from the overflow of knowing you. And so just lastly tonight, won't you lift your hands? Holy Spirit, thank you for encounters, God. Thank you for encounters, God. We just release your presence right now. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you're the God who waits, who draws, who invites. Thank you that you're building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Thank you for your tenderness, your kindness, and your goodness that's in this room right now. And we just receive you, Lord. Lord, I ask that you'd make a beautiful, holy example out of every person in this room. 
that we'd be so filled with the Spirit of Jesus that, like Fatini, God, that we'd share the gospel everywhere we go. We'd begin to see lives and hearts lit on fire for you, changed, turned inside out, upside down, that we would actually be a people who believe that cities can be saved and transformed even in a day. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your good news. Thank you for your love. We bless you. We honor you. We worship you tonight. Can we just do that in your own words? Just love him. Minister to him. Just for like a minute. Let's just love him. bless you. We bless you. We love you. We honor you. We honor you, Jesus. We honor you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Tonight, my prayer for us is that we would go from this place with a deeper hunger in our hearts for Him than we had when we came in, that we would know that we've been invited and drawn into a lifestyle of encounters with Jesus. Father, I want to release visions and dreams tonight, encounters in the night. By faith, I just, I release that over every person in this room. adore you, Jesus. We love you. We honor you. What we're going to do tonight is we're not going to officially end anything. Um, I'm going to finish here, and if you need to go, you can go, and the, the guys, there'll still be coffee and things if you need, but um, if you want to stay and linger and just encounter the Lord, receive Him, if you need prayer or ministry or maybe you sitting here and you know you really want to give your life. There's still time to come. Our team will pray for you. But I want you to know tonight I bless you. And I really do commission you tonight in the fire of the Holy Spirit to everything that He's called you to. My greatest prayer is that tonight you would just be provoked to go be with Jesus. That when you leave this room, you would have a hunger and a stirring in your heart to go be with him because he's the one who changes our hearts and lives. He's the one who transforms us. So I release that. I just want to say thank you for seeking him, for loving him, for pursuing him. Thank you for being a, a people who long to live out and walk in the fullness of what he paid for. And I know that when, when people honor his presence, he honors that people with his power. 
you're called to the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. So I bless you, love you. You're welcome to just stay in. I'm going to ask the worship team. We're just going to go into time of worship. Um, and uh, if you want to just linger and encounter, you can do that. We love you. We bless you. And um, we'll see you next week. Love you guys.